Welcome to Rare Tools. This week, part three of talking about sensitive topics. Here we go. This podcast answers these questions. What are things I should avoid talking about at work? Why should I avoid talking about those things at work? What are good topics to talk about at work? All this and more in one of my favorite casts. This episode of Career Tools is brought to you by Roadmap, Manager Tools' new application that allows managers to roll out the Trinity, one-on-ones and feedback, and to monitor and measure every step along the way. You'll have a dashboard to see how you're doing, and we'll help you with every single step from scheduling your one-on-ones all the way through to reporting on how you're doing. ManagerTools.com. Come see us. Okay, Wendy. So we left off last week and um, uh, we finished talking about relationships and parenting. And now we're going to talk about other people's stuff. Yes. <laughs> the people, other people loved coming on. We're going to start with other people's belongings, their house, their car, their, I don't know, anything that they own. And there are pages and pages and pages on the internet of people asking, can I take my Louis Vuitton purse to work, given that I'm only a receptionist? Or can I wear this diamond ring? Or can I take my Porsche to work, given that I'm, you know, I work in the mailroom? They're worried that people will judge them because of what they own. Like, a receptionist shouldn't be able to afford the latest Louis Vuitton bag, and therefore they make an assumption about how that person did earn it, did afford it. And they're worried about what that impression, what that judgment is, and how that might affect their career. But to be clear, the idea that we're going to give guidance about other people's judgment is ludicrous, folks. If you're judging other people, that's your problem. That's between you and your your God. Folks, if you're wondering, other people will judge you. They judge you all the time. It's part of being a stupid human. Uh, there's nothing wrong with evaluating people when you're talking about productivity and workplace effectiveness and, and so on, and pe- paying attention to people's behaviors and being able to predict future behaviors. But there's a big difference between judging people. Uh, and we're all born with enough insecurities that, generally speaking, when somebody else does better than you, all but the very purest of heart will tend to find reasons to knock that person down and say, well, he got that because of this, and, you know, uh, my father's not rich, or, oh, you know, she got that because um, because of where she went to school, you know, not that she's really that good. So I, want, I just want to be clear before we get to the guidance that if you're worried about what uh, belongings or what you're going to drive or uh, to work or what kind of house you're in, if you're worried that other people are going to judge you, stop worrying about it because they are going to judge you. Mm-hmm. They just are. So it's like worrying about air. I mean, you, you drive yourself crazy with worry. That said, Wendy, keep going. So his more examples, people worry, you know, their boss says, will you pick me up from the airport? And maybe their boss means nothing, you know, nothing by it. It's like, it's just convenient for you to pick me up from the airport. I don't have to get an Uber, whatever. And then the, the boss says, oh, nice car. Or, wow, car, car's a bit of a state or whatever. You know, just because... We tend to get in other people's cars and make a judgment about their cars. Yeah. And recently I saw something on the internet where the company had decided to go green and they were insisting that an employee got rid of their car because the company's a green company and therefore they didn't want this person driving to work, which was anti-green. But the person needed the car to transport a disabled relative. I find that offensive. I really do. I know. 
Right? This person was like, what do I do? <laughs> Find a new job. Because <laughs> that's ridiculous. Yeah. But that's the extent to which this goes. And we all make different choices with our money and energy. And unless somebody else's possession is making a difference to the work that they're doing, then you don't need to make a comment. Yeah, I, I would actually argue a little bit differently. What you would hear from some people who are idiots that that person's possession is having a negative effect on the culture here because he shouldn't drive that nice of a car and people are envious. That is, hypothetically, if you're really an idiot, an effect on the workplace. But what should happen if some man or woman is driving or some young person is driving a car or carrying something that appears to be out of their monetary ability to afford what should happen is you should tell the people who are complaining and envious and, and carping about it to shut the hell up. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to go so far as to say if somebody's possession is having a negative impact because that enables the whiners and the carpers to complain about things and then say, oh, you know, you, boss, you should tell her or him not to do that. It's not appropriate. I, I think I think I didn't, – didn't we share a year or two ago the story of someone who um, uh, there was a there was a – a policy at work that you could wear hats, which I find stupid and, and wrong um, because people don't wear hats inside. Fashion doesn't go that far. I'm sorry. Comportment and collegiality and the ability to work well with one another outrank your fashion statement. Uh, unless you work in the music industry or the fashion industry, okay, fine. But this person wore a hat and somebody else didn't like what the hat said and said, I want that hat taken off of them. And they went to HR, and HR said, yeah, that's offending other people. And the guy said, actually, my hat's not offending them. I'm wearing that. They're choosing to be offended. Because this other person over here, they're not offended. Now, if they drive their car and park it in the president's parking spot, that's a different story, but it has nothing to do with their car. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not the possession that's causing the problem, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe if you're a team manager, you're a, you, one of your team people has an old car that keeps breaking them down and make, breaking down and making them late to work. The conversation is not, you need a new car. <laughs> the conversation is, you've been late to work this number of times. This causes these problems for the team. Can you be on time? Or what can you do differently? Yeah. It, the, you don't solve it for the person by saying, oh, I'm going to decide that you need a new car. You ask them to solve the problem, right? This is a classic feedback scenario problem. It's one of those, like, it's like the prisoner's dilemma one where you tell the direct, hey, can I give you some feedback? When you're late to work, I worry about you. Can you be on time? Oh, my car breaks down a lot. Well, okay. Can, can you be on time? I don't know. And then the next time, they seem to think that that's a good defense. Um, because perhaps they can't afford a better car. And so the the thought is you're going to give them feedback the next time because you, you're you're not really interested. You're sensitive to, but um, if everybody has, you're sensitive to their reasons, but if everybody has good reasons all the time, then um, excuses and reasons trump effectiveness, which won't get you very far in the world. And so the second time you do it, they said, I already told you my car is a problem. And then, of course, you've got to give them feedback and say, can I give some feedback when you raise your voice to me and blame your car? Uh, it comes across that you're not willing to do the things that are necessary to be effective around here. What can you do differently? And you can be quiet and polite, and you can insist without having a tone of insistence. And look, even when you make a positive comment, right, you, you got to be careful. You know, I love the Chanel bag. 
I don't know how you afford it on our salary. It's rude. Um, if you say to some dude, nice truck, dude, um, how do you like those payments, though? You could admire the truck without discussing their money. Yeah, or, you know, the classic one, the, the, the gender-biased or the sex sexism-based one is, oh, you live in the Dominion, which, if you don't know, is a very nice neighborhood outside of San Antonio. George Strait and I think almost all of the San Antonio Spurs live there. Oh, you live in the Dominion? And if you're talking to a, a, a woman, you say, I mean, your husband must be wealthy, right? Well, <laughs> for all you know, she inherited a lot of money. For all you know, heaven forbid, she received a settlement when her husband and child were killed by a drunk driver. For all you know, she earned it. Yeah. And when you think to yourself, I kind of wonder... If you kind of wonder, and you have to say something like this, it's inappropriate to ask. You don't get to say the things you wonder about. You don't get to ask about everything you wonder about. You're just left to wonder. That's why we started with with people who are getting divorced and or, you know all those things. Like you don't need to know the details. Yeah. You might want to know them, but you don't need to. And knowing them and asking about them doesn't do your relationship any good at all. Okay, so next area, medical conditions. So when somebody mentions they have a medical condition, one way people try to connect is to mention someone else they know who has the same condition, right? So somebody will say, oh, I have a terrible shellfish allergy. And then somebody will say, oh, you know, I have a cousin who has that blew up like a big balloon when we had lobster. It's a way of connecting. It's a way of saying, like, I'm in your tribe. I'm, I understand. But what happens next is people then give suggestions. So they'll say like, oh, my cousin went to an allergist, really good one, Mr. Brown, you must go see him. And he got some shots and he's been fine ever since. In fact, last time I saw him, I ate three crabs in a row. And it's as if, yeah. it's as if they're trying, trying to be helpful. They are trying to be helpful, but that's not really how medical conditions work. Let's just be clear about this. It's rude. If nobody's ever told you this before, don't blame us. Okay. It's rude to do that. When someone says they have a shelf of challenge, you say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, there are a couple of things on here you ought to be careful about. And by the way, if you're at a less than high-end restaurant, there's a problem with potentially shellfish being cooked in oil that's used to cook french fries. Uh, that happens to people all the time. You don't say anything to pry. You don't need to share. You don't need to become a member of their tribe by saying, oh, I know a bunch of people with a shellfish allergy. Just say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And then change the subject. That's what you do. People don't need well-meaning advice. And you're not cool for being the one that knows the advice and gives it. And people don't want to be sick. People are doing their best to not be sick. It's not like they haven't thought or read about all of the things that, that could cure them or could make them better. Uh, another thing people do is minimize the illness. So they'll say, oh, my cousin had that and they're fine now. Or my friend had depression and then she started doing exercise and now she's super happy. But you don't want to do that. You're deciding for somebody else the magnitude and the effect that their illness has on their life. And you can't know that. You can't know that it's you know something that barely bothers them or something that affects their everyday life yeah and they don't need other people to decide that for them they get to decide that yeah and, and again we come back to someone mentions something you say something uh, uh, appropriate and reasonable like i'm sorry to hear that or hope turns out okay or whatever and then you move on you change the subject 
there are movies you can actually see this happening in where somebody begins to go into a subject that is technically off limits and the cad continues to ask and everyone else politely changes the subject. The movie does that. They use civility and someone who doesn't understand civility, which, and civility, by the way, is a form of respect for another person and their feelings and their belongings and their family and their loved ones. They use that to create tension. But it is not the people who are changing the subject who are being rude. If the hero is the one that's interjecting or pushing in modern dramas today, he or she's still wrong. Oh, I suppose if the fate of the world depends on them diffusing a nuclear bomb, that's that's <laughs> another thing entirely. Not, not an everyday experience. Yeah, a though. lack of civility <laughs> in that situation might be completely appropriate. But that's what people do. And if you think to yourself, oh, she was rude. I started to ask her a question and she changed the subject. And most people listening to this have probably heard a phrase that sounds like this. How about them cowboys? After you had just mm -hmm. been talking about politics in Washington or in Whitehall. And people are like, you know, why do, why do people do that? Well, they're trying to make light of the fact that someone is probing too far that you you unfortunately didn't learn civility you don't you aren't showing respect for another person's property personal life and so on and to be honest the the politically correct debate has made this worse by people talking about things that didn't used to be talked about and the reason for that is some things that didn't used to be talked about in the public square lower people's defenses and soon people are talking about things that create misunderstandings and hurt feelings and so on. So we want to respect other people's boundaries. And, you know, same thing with, I have that too, or, oh, you, you say of OCD, I, I, I'm a little bit, I like to be tidy or something, uh, you know, I, I, or uh, if somebody says they're depressed, say, yeah, I get sad sometimes too. You don't know what they're going through, okay? They've answered your question, and probably it's time to change the subject. And, and these are the kind of subjects, we're covering the subjects, that would create that, um, that would create a situation that are uh, sensitive. So don't try to show solidarity with the person. Express some form of sensitivity. I'm sorry to hear that. Or you handle it well and leave it at that and then change the subject. Learn how to change the subject. I was listening to a podcast that was having a similar discussion the other day. They said, uh, well, what do you say if somebody is getting divorced? And the guy said, well, I would say, I'm so sorry you're going through that. And he said, I always wonder if I should say something more clever. It's like, no, you don't need to say anything more clever. Just say, I'm so sorry you're going through that and change the subject, right? There's no need to be clever. Yeah, there's no need to be clever. And the ultimate extreme, the, the reduction argument here is if someone has passed away and you go to a wake or a visitation or you go to someone's house, after a funeral or something, and you're wondering what to say. We've said this several times before over our thousand or so podcasts. You're supposed to go. That's what you're supposed mm -hmm. to do. You don't have to say anything. So the point of that being, there are times when you don't have to say anything at all in order to be doing your part. The idea then, that in a situation of some personal sensitivity, you feel the need to say something clever is all about you. It doesn't have to be about you. In fact, the best way to make it about the other person is to be civil and to say, I'm so sorry, or thank you for letting me know that, and then change the subject. Simple as that. 
And I can feel it now that people going, oh, these people are old. They don't understand. Well, you'll figure it out sooner or later. You, you'll, you'll either pay me now or you'll pay me later. Cliches are cliches for a reason. Those things that you say in those moments are there because we don't know anything better to say. Yes. Well, sometimes the things that go without saying need to be said, right? Yeah. That's true, too. Before we go on, there's a big difference between let me know there's some if there's something I can help you with and I'm here for you. Like the modern thing is I'm here for you. But if you say let me do, know if there's something I can do for you, that's like specific practical help. You know, like I'm sick and I can't get up in the mornings. Uh, okay, well, let me know when you're not coming in and I'll update your spreadsheet for you. I'm here for you just says, it kind of says tell me more in a way that, we're saying don't ask for more, and and it's useless. It's it doesn't it doesn't do anything useful for the. I person. want the credit of feeling bad for you without having any chips in the game. Well, I want it to cost me nothing. I want my virtue signaling to be strong, but I don't want to actually have to do anything to earn it. Okay, next, other people's food. Yes. So here's some common things that we hear. Should you be eating that? <laughs> or that looks awful. Or that looks delicious. Or, didn't you just have breakfast? Or, you're like a bird, you need to eat more. I, you hardly eat anything. Like, you don't need to say anything negative about somebody's food. You don't need to tell them that you think they shouldn't be eating it, or they should. If somebody's homemade lunch looks delicious, then absolutely compliment them. Say, oh, that looks really good. Can you share the recipe? Would you share the recipe with me? But don't tell people what to eat, or what they should be eating, or what your opinion of it is. It's so personal and you know in one of the interview things we say don't eat messy food if you're at a meal interview but that's yeah. not about the food that's about whether or not you make a mess of yourself while you're interviewing there's no reason for somebody who is not super close to you family to say anything about what you're eating and yet people want to all the time yeah so you just don't so here's a good example this happened to me about six months ago i'm at a meal and then about a week later i'm at another meal and um we're deciding what to eat. We're ordering at a restaurant. And um, I make a comment. I, I look at the salad menu, which comes right before the massive steak I want to eat. <laughs> and I said, oh, they've got kale. I'm, I don't eat kale. Right? And it's just sort of a joke between me and my friends. Okay, And I didn't have the kale salad. I had something else. I think a couple other people at the meal ordered kale, but that's fine. I, I don't care what you eat. And you shouldn't care what I eat. A couple of weeks later, I'm at another meal and someone else orders before me and they order something with kale. And one of my friends says, aren't you going to say something about she ordered kale? And I said, no, the fact that I don't like kale doesn't give me the right to judge what she's eating. And he said, oh, I just thought I'd stir it up a little bit. And, and luckily, one of my friends looked at the guy who said it and said, well, with friends like you, Right? Like, right. she was. Mark just did a nice thing, right? And mm -hmm. by the way, folks, if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm not always Mr. Nice Things. And I just did a nice thing. I didn't say anything. If they want to eat kale, God bless them. Isn't it wonderful to live in a free society and not a brutally repressive communist dictatorship or a country where people disappear? A place where food is freely available and you get to choose what you eat. Yes, there's so much food here. It's, you know... Well, heck, I live in California, and I think California feeds 20% of the world. One little valley in California feels 20%. So there's a difference between liking and not liking food. 
and judging what other people are eating. Okay, I guess you save politics, sex, religion, and money for last, because if you're halfway intelligent, you know not to talk about things like that. Right, and there's a, there's a fundamental difference between what we've already discussed, the items that we've already discussed, and politics, sex, religion, and money. So a conflict-free workplace consists of people who do not talk about these subjects. For the other subjects, they, they haven't been off limits. There's been a way to talk about them, or there's been a way to um, acknowledge what somebody else has said and move on. In this section, we're saying, don't talk about them. Just don't talk about them. Right. So it happened that the day I was writing this this podcast was the day after President Trump announced that the U.S. would acknowledge Jerusalem as the capital city of Israel. It just happened to be a big subject yeah. um, that covered both politics and religion. And so you can imagine that the conversations, you know, that go on at work the next day is like Trump was right, Trump was wrong, and you're a Republican. How can you support this? And your president is an idiot. You're Jewish. Do you support Trump now? Or you Muslims must be unhappy. But all of those thoughts said out loud are inflammatory. They get to pers people's personal beliefs around sensitive subjects. Yeah, and then the question becomes, if person A is, well, I'll, I'll say something that feels politically incorrect, but since we're talking about politically incorrect subjects, if person A is a Muslim and is your top performer, and, and then in a workplace discussion, someone says, you're not being sensitive to the plight of my brothers and sisters in this situation, and then suddenly that person is not favored with a bonus, a promotion, a special project or whatever, for some other reason, you, the boss, if you're the boss, have essentially presided over Maybe not a hostile workplace, I think we throw that around too much, but a workplace that wasn't civil and you've created question marks about people's careers because these kinds of subjects are coming up. I had a similar thing. You mentioned Trump. I was reading a book recently about management and actually it was, it was not bad. Now, to be fair, guys, that's actually a compliment for me because the vast majority of management books are not just bad. They're bloody horrible. They're doorstops. And it wasn't bad until the chapter comes up and there's a statement in there which basically says, you know, if you voted for Trump, you're an idiot. And worse than an idiot, a bigoted, uh, spineless idiot. And this person is talking in their own bubble about, you know, among their friends, I'm sure that's what they say. And yet, at least in the United States, more people voted for Trump than voted for Hillary. And the point I'm making is not whether you're Trump or Hillary or Tory or not, or, or this party or that party, but rather when you allow politics in and you think it's okay to talk about, you essentially, from your advice, insult people, you disenfranchise people from a voice simply because you're not aware that these kinds of things can be strongly held beliefs and your opinions will not matter. And it, it's unfortunate. And so we don't talk about those things because the stuff we talk about needs to be free of the taint of the personal biases and concerns that people appropriately have, believe it or not, because we live in a free society and things like politics and religion are, gratefully for us, some things that we have our own freedom about. And we are free to speak about it in the public square, and that's very important in the modern world. 
Unfortunately, your workplace is not the public square. You do not have freedom of speech at work, not just because it's a private entity, even if you're a governmental employee, but rather because the organization is about serving society, not about giving you a place that's good for you. Uh, The first responsibility of your organization is society, not you. And you may disagree with that, but that's like disagreeing with air. Again, it's the history of organizations. You don't go to work to be informed about a subject. You can't say, oh, but but you're my only Muslim friend, and so I wanted to ask you about whatever it was, right? Because that's not what you're at work for. You're at work to work. That's what you are earning money for, for creating value for the organization. If you want to learn, you go to school or you go to You know, I'm quite sure that you can walk into a mosque or a synagogue or the Republican Party or anything that you want to know more about. You can walk in and somebody will be happy to tell you everything you want to know. But that's not what you do at work. Yeah. Now, speaking of that regarding, you mentioned religion in there, you can say, I went to church or I went to the synagogue or I went to my mosque. That's a statement of fact. I actually according to one person, made a mistake by telling a story about my behavior in church. And they told me afterwards that in their country, we don't talk about church. And I, I, you know, I basically snarkily replied to this person in email that I wasn't talking about church. I was talking about my behavior. But the bottom line is, you don't need to discuss this stuff at work. My dad used to say the definition of conflict is two human beings in the same county. You put 500, 1,000, 10,000 people in one company or 500, 100, 200, 1,000 in one building, you're going to have conflict. If you don't agree on some rules for how we're going to behave ourselves around one another, life will be nasty, brutish, and short, and people will spend their time complaining about other people offending them all their own time. And for the record, you don't have a right to be free from offense. But that's not the reason organizations recommend and even in some cases prohibit these kind of discussions. You don't need to have this at work. It's not effective. And believe it or not, it's not just about effectiveness. It's about civility. We'd love to live in a world where politics or religion or money could be discussed without friction. But this isn't fantasy tools. (laughs) It's career tools. Okay, so you want to summarize? Sure. So we started with, and we're going to say it again, so don't comment on someone else's behavior except that it pertains to you and your work. If you're a manager and you need to discuss someone's behavior as it pertains to their work, then that's fine, right? Oh, I don't know. Like we said, with if your car keeps breaking down and it makes the person late, then you can discuss their lateness, lateness. not their breaking to some cars. Otherwise, your attempts to connect or discuss or understand or sympathize or whatever positive flair you want to put on it are so likely to be hurtful and inflammatory that it's better to avoid them altogether there's a million things to talk about don't talk about these yeah sorry we went long over three episodes guys but it's an important topic and frankly a lot of people i'm sure we surprised you with some of our guidance but somebody's got to tell you don't shoot the messenger we'll see you next week